All right, let's take our Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll be there and camping out in the first three verses this morning. And I want want to recognize a special guest. Dr. Larry Holland is with us. Uh, Dr. Holland was, how many years were you at Franklin Heights? 41. And I think that we need to give honor where honor is due. In Virginia, there is a large I guess we could say, or has been a large, at least in Baptist churches, percentage of churches that did not take a stand on the Bible, um, that would not preach the Bible as God's holy, inspired, infallible, and errant word. And Dr. Holland did that for 41 years. And so we appreciate the stand that you've taken for the Bible in our area and our state. Amen, church? All right, let's take your Bibles, go to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read all the way through verse 6. We'll probably just get through the first three verses this morning. The Bible says, I, therefore, this is the Apostle Paul, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. If you were with us last week, we started a series on church membership. And we looked at what the Bible had to say, that if you are a person who has given your life to Jesus Christ, you've been saved, you've been born again, you should connect with a local body of believers with what we call the local church. And every single person who would be a member of that church has a particular function. We looked in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the metaphor of the body and how if you had just an eye... All it could do would be to see. If you had a tongue, all it could do would be to talk. If you had a hands, all they would know what to do is to do without any thought going into it. So God has given us all spiritual gifts. He's given us all something to do within His church. And what we're going to break down today is the issue of unity in the church. And we're just going to be as simple as we can to try to put our our driving thought, our main idea out there at the beginning, and it's very simple, that unifiers in the church serve Jesus Christ, whereas gossipers in the church serve Satan. Okay, let's let's imagine just for a moment, we read from the Bible, and if you're not a believer here today, if you have questions about the existence of God or the resurrection or the truth of the Bible, let's suppose for a moment that God exists. Let's imagine for a moment that God exists and he sent his son Jesus to fulfill prophecy in the Bible. And let's imagine that what the Bible says about Jesus actually happened and that Jesus suffered on the cross, died, rose again, and he set up this thing called the church, which is not the building, but it's the people, right? And let's imagine just for a minute, Jesus Jesus told his people, told the church, your job is to go out into all of the world. I mean, in the cities, 
in the hick towns, in the ghettos, in, in, in the African bush, the wilderness. I want you to go everywhere where there's people and everywhere you find people, I want you to tell them about me. And then when I save them, I want you to come alongside them to help them understand what it means to be a follower of me. And we know when this epistle was written, Ephesians, it was written to the Christians in Ephesus. And if we could have gone back there, we would have seen this gigantic temple. It was kind of like the Vatican of paganism. A pagan is a person who simply lives for their desires, whether that's to have sex with as many people as they can, whether it's to get drunk and smashed every week, whether it's to go off at somebody. All of that is against God. And here's this little bitty guy, the Apostle Paul, comes to this huge city called Ephesus. They had this gigantic temple to Diana of the Ephesians or Artemis, these pagan gods. And he's, he's there. It's just him. But he knows that there was a day in which he was running from God, but God showed up and changed his life. And he knew that it was his job to go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. So here's this little bitty guy from what Christian history tells us, the Apostle Paul. And he goes into this stronghold of pagan worship to where, and we have children's church, to where you could go into this temple and have ritual sex with men or women in the name of religion. That was the religion of the day. Paganism. The apostle Paul went and said, you know what? If God is for me, then who can be against me? He preached the gospel. People were saved everywhere. Churches started to spring up. So we're still going on this possibility if the Bible's true. Now, if that's true, and Satan exists, one of the best ways that you could stop the mission of God is not, not create a million, multi-million dollar industry of trying to say, hey, why don't you come join the local satanic coven and drink blood with us? Doesn't appeal. All you have to do is put people within the visible church who will create dissension, disunity, and will spread gossip. That's all you have to do. And so Satan, being very smart, even Jesus says, you know what? There is the sower that goes out. It's you or I when we tell people about Jesus. And the seed of the gospel falls on people's hearts. And people are saved. But then the enemy comes behind and he plants weeds in between the ones that are true. And the story goes, the servant's like, well, well master, boss, I can go and I can pull the weeds Pulling weeds is hard, hard work, right? When you, you're down, you need a, you need a back adjustment by the time you're done. He's like, I can go pull the weeds. And then the master says, don't pull up the weeds because check this out. When you pull up the weeds, you may damage the wheat. Meaning that if there was somehow a true inquisition that came and the true and the false were just boom, 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 boom. I mean, Rambo style. You're true. You're not. You're true. You're not. He's saying that it would damage the church. So he says, let them grow together. And then at harvest time, that's a metaphor for judgment. When they die or when Jesus comes back, what I will do is I will separate the weeds from the wheat. I will separate the people in church that are truly saved from those who are not. And guess what we see throughout the Bible and even in churches today? Most churches 
don't have problems with the local atheists. They don't. In fact, there's a friend of mine in Texas, big, I mean, just a big Texas guy. And he says, man, I haven't been saved that long. And this church he was in was going through some stuff. He says, I always thought when I didn't go to church, when I didn't read the Bible, when I didn't care about God, that it was people on the outside of the church causing problems for those who were trying to serve Jesus in the church. And he's like, but Jeff, what I've come to realize, it is, is it not the people on the outside creating disunity? It's the people who are already there. And so let's ask the question. If God exists, if Jesus is his son, if he rose from the dead, if the Bible's testimony is true, and if it's God's plan for us to go into all the world and make disciples for every out of every nation, then wouldn't it be a good plan if you don't want that to happen to put people in the church to gossip, spread rumors, and create disunity? That is called a brilliant, brilliant plan. And Satan, using his people inside the church, is still using that plan. What we read in the Bible here is very clear. Once again, the Apostle Paul, who's in prison, is saying, I want you guys to walk in a manner worthy of which you were called. Act in in humility, in gentleness, and in patience there in verse 2. Bearing with one another in love. It literally means putting up with one another. Tom Rainer said this, few things can destroy the unity of a church like gossip. You say, well, Jeff, what could we compare gossip? It is so quiet in here this morning, Brother Larry. I don't know. (laughs) What can you compare gossip to? Well, I'm so glad that we asked. Take notes, James chapter 3 in your Bibles. James chapter 3, speaking of the destructive power of the tongue, not just limited to gossip. Let's back up before we read the text. Think of you come home from work and your wife or your husband, or your kids, or your mom, your dad, your brother, and your sister. I mean, it's just like they are trying to to machine gun you down with cut downs. If we could have a serious moment for a moment. Some of you grew up in homes to where you were never encouraged. The only time you received encouragement is when you did something well. You were never encouraged just by the fact that you were the son or the daughter, the brother or sister. And we know the damaging effect of gossip and words that cut. Listen to what the Bible says, James chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How many of us have gotten our whole body in trouble by the small tongue that speaks great words? Been in fights? Said, oh, I, you weren't supposed to tell them that I told you that about them, and then it comes around, all right? So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Check this out. This is in the Bible. This is awesome. By the way, the Bible's awesome. So I think it'd be really good if some of, uh, Christians, or at least they say they are, let's read the Bible. Amen? Like, let's just, let's just do, pick it up and put our eyes there and read it. Be okay? You'd be amazed how many people come to church every week and they never read the Bible. I'm like, like, anyway, I need to go, I need to go on. How great, how great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. It gets hardcore. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining or polluting the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Think Jameis Winston. One sentence that was vulgar and not right, banned for a whole game, opening year. It doesn't take much. 
And it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature that can be tamed has been tamed by mankind. But no human being, I'm not sure if you can tame a chihuahua, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, check this out, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. Think praise songs, think praising hymns. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. So maybe some of the takeaway from the sermon this morning from God's word is that those of us who have been saved... That every time we open our mouth with our friends, whether it's here at church, whether it's at home with our family, that we look for ways to build up and not to tear down. And when those times come to where our family needs to speak hard truths to us and we need to speak hard truths to them, I mean the hard truths like we're doing something that we know is wrong and they need to come alongside, there will be money in the bank account of encouragement as opposed to consistently bouncing checks with nothing but cutting down words. So what about people in the church who gossip? Here's the thing. You may dress nice, smell nice, and look nice, but if you spread gossip within a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, you might as well tattoo a pentagram on your forehead, write 666 on your right hand, because you are serving Satan far more effectively than any local Satanist in Virginia. We okay? You see, it's the role of a person in the church who spreads gossip that creates disunity and division is not a PR frontman for Satan, but rather a person behind the scenes, like in World War II, the Germans would come into Allied territory and sabotage. The Allies would go into German territory and sabotage. That is the work of someone who is a gossip. And if you are gossiping within the church, you are, tra- you are a traitor to the church because instead of looking for ways to strengthen the unity of Christ's mission, you, a gossiper will wait and pounce and shoot from the shadows. We all right? Let's just take a time out and say, for some of us who've been involved in churches, this may be part of what we've experienced. And from God's word, let's just ask a very simple question. How on earth can a person claim to know Jesus Christ when most of the words that they speak about the mission of Jesus Christ in local churches are words of condemnation and words of division? Whether they realize it or not, they are serving Satan himself. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 28 through 31. This is one of the most hard-hitting passages on human sin in the entire Bible. And this is the conclusion in verse 28. And since they, speaking about lost people of every religion, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. That means a mind that literally thinks that right is wrong and wrong is right. It's the type of mindset that say, let's, let's applaud Michael Sam and his alternative lifestyle. And by the way, Rocky Mount Baptist Church, we love gay people. We want them to be saved just like all other sinners. Amen, church? If you are here this morning, you struggle with those desires. If you have a family member, friend, we want you to come to Rocky Mount Baptist Church because Jesus died to save sinners. 
But a debased mind is one that applauds that lifestyle that actually has the, the most, the, the same equivalent to lower your lifespan as heroin use. Even from a clinical perspective, we have to say that it's not a good thing. A mind that would say, let's applaud that. And then let's pin RG3 to the fence for wearing a no Jesus, no fear shirt. And this is coming from a Cowboys fan. It's a mind to where right becomes wrong and wrong becomes right. A debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Now check it out, verse 29, it builds. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are, put on the brakes, gossips. It goes on, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. Dude, how do you, like, inventing what? It is obedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Big question. Why does God, in his word, put gossip in the middle of this list of sins that includes haters of God, maliciousness, covetous, evil, murder, strife, domestic violence, wife beating, obsessive, uncontrollable anger. Why in the world would God place gossip there? Simply because gossipers serve Satan. The gospel brings people together who are not even related. But gossip divides God's people on God's mission. You see, and imagine if this is true, that God exists, wouldn't it be a great plan to put people in the church and just let them gossip and the church turns in on itself instead of going out into the world? Here's a newsflash. For each and every one of us that claim to be saved, By Jesus Christ, and even more so if we're a member of Rocky Mount Baptist Church. Not only should we never put up with gossip, but we should do everything in our power to promote the unity of God's church on God's mission. Here's what Tom Rainer says. He says, God requires us to be a unifying presence. You have a responsibility as a church member. You are a source. You are to be a source of unity. You are never to be a divisive force. You are to love your fellow church members unconditionally. And while that doesn't mean you agree with everyone all the time, it does mean that you are willing to sacrifice your own preference to keep the unity in your church. God has done, is continuing to do a great work in Rocky Mount Baptist Church, but I've, I'm only 33, but I've actually seen it before. When God begins to move in a church, there are those within the church that just, they actually like dead church. We're going to go to see them this next week. But have you ever known somebody that as long as it's comfortable, doesn't matter if there's 20 people here on a Sunday morning, if everybody wears suits, if they sing the music that I like, and then I don't have to be pushed out of my comfort zone, then I'm kind of okay with that. Although we would rather see more people come so we can get more money. That's the mentality of a person who may be in the church but does not know Jesus. Listen, when we get saved, that is the point to where our preferences go out the window and our life is surrendered to Him. So now that we've looked at gossip and what it produces and the room is very tense, let's look at three keys to unity that come from the text that we read. Number one, the keys to unity. There in verse number one, he says, the Apostle Paul, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. It means 
walking in the right direction. It means Rocky Mount Baptist Church doing what Jesus told us to do. And I am so thankful for just the response. We were able to have a shared time on Wednesday night for the county fair. Thousands of people were there. You guys responded in force. I mean, we had some of you that were chasing people down to give them candy and water. Praise Jesus. And had some of y'all passing out the million dollar tracks, not going to say any names, telling the high school kids you can cash it in for candy. So what they do? They came and did and they heard about Jesus. Praise God for that. And do you realize that in a couple, it would be under two months, that we're going to be the collection site for, for all of these gift boxes for kids in the third world. Operation Christmas Child. They say we may have 9,000 boxes. Sue's praying for how many is it? 11,000 boxes. You're like, is it going to fit? I don't know. (laughs) We hope, but if not, we'll fill some class up somewhere. It's amazing to see. We have the opportunity to get plugged into that. And and the sheriff has actually given us clearance again. We're going to have the inmates of Franklin County in... Let's be very careful. Is this ours? No, but we understand what we mean when we say this. In in our fellowship hall, we're, the 12th of, of, of uh, November, they're going to come. The ones who are not a flight risk or violent risk. And they're going to come. And we're going to be able to feed them Thanksgiving. And just from what we're hearing from those guys, they're still blown away by last year. By your reaching out to do what Jesus told you to do. They said those people treated us like we were somebody. We would have never thought a church would have invited us. To come to their church and cook us food that's so good it makes you want to punch somebody. (laughs) They're going to come again and praise Jesus. We have the willingness and the workers. And you all are giving so the weekend. And it's expensive to do something like that. To fix all that food. Praise God for that. And that's not, well look at us at Rocky Mount Baptist Church. That's basic Christianity. I mean, it's amazing. And for those of you guys that are doing the jail ministry, praise God for you, Lee and, and Ben and Jeffrey. You guys are going to week after week after week sharing Jesus with them. And for our people that are back there, outnumbered five million to one in children's church, let's pray for them. Amen. <laughs> God's bringing us people and people are plugging in and we're going to need help. We're going to need more help as the church grows. And guess what? There's such a freedom that comes. Notice the Apostle Paul says, I urge you to walk. That means to live. That means to operate. Don't have to come to church to hear a good sermon. We hope that it's encouraging. Not just to hear great music. We hope that that's powerful. But to come to serve. Amen? You will never find a person more enslaved than a person who comes to church wanting there to be unity, but it's all about them. Praise God for people in this church. We've been switching around classrooms and all of those classes have said, you know, we're willing to do whatever God would have for us. We're willing to go wherever. We told some of them, don't worry, you're not being banished to some room off to the side to Sunday school purgatory. But praise God for a church that's willing to walk after Jesus. In chapter 4, verse 17 of the same chapter, Ephesians The Apostle Paul says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. simply means that you will never find a more unhappy person than a person who's in church who wants it to be all about 
their preferences. And next week, I hope that you're here, we'll talk about one of the major problems why churches are dying all over the United States is because many of the preferences that are within the church will actually kill the church. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, the Apostle Paul writes as well, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Secondly, verse 2, first key to unity, walking in the direction that Jesus walked. The way that we will stay united as Rocky Mountain Baptist Church is we will reach out, listen, listen, we will reach out to people who are poor, we will reach out to prisoners, we will reach out to broken families, we will reach out to single moms, we will reach out to people who have abused substances throughout their life because in Matthew 25, Jesus says, inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these, my brothers, you have done it unto me. And if you don't have those issues, if you're doing well financially, God has given you a responsibility to help those who need help. Amen? And if you're, if you're stable, <laughs> we need your help. Because Franklin County needs Jesus. Secondly, working with the right attitude. Notice verse 2 says, Work with humility, gentleness, patience, putting up with one another or bearing with one another in love. Think about unity. I think about when we watch that video of those Marines singing, These are the days of Elijah. Man, they had it down. Like I'm like, we need to get those guys to, to do the next VBS videos. I mean, to see a group of Marines, some of y'all guys are like, I don't know, doing a little flute thing. It was unity. They were together. And it wasn't just a song. When those men trained together at Camp Pendleton, they know we're not just in worship, the ones who are Christians. But it may be that we get called to go fight ISIS face to face. We may be sent to Ukraine if there's a clash between Russia and NATO. We don't know where we're going to be sent, but I do know it's about the man next to me. And I'm unified with that team. Praise God for unity in the church. But let's always remember that there is an enemy who wants to infiltrate, who wants to sabotage the mission of the church. And the way that he does that is not from opposition from the outside, from humanists, from atheists, from Muslims, from Hindus. It's in the United States of America, he does it through people who are on the inside and who know how to craft what they say in spiritual sounding terms. Notice what Jesus said. This is a familiar verse if you've been here for a while. John 13, verses 34 and 35. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And gentlemen, love is just not an emotive thing. It's not a thing to where we sit around in a group and we're holding hands and we're crying on each other, although sometimes that may be a case if someone's broken. But love means bearing with one another. Some of you who are married, remember when you were dating and you were newly married, you just say, baby, I, I love you. It's like, I can't get enough. I just want to be around you. I want to go to the store with you. I want to go to the flea market with you. I want to go listen to music with you. I just want to be with you. You are awesome. And then I've been told by people who've been married two or three years down the road, you say, you know, baby, I used to say I can't get enough of you, but I think I have. You know, <laughs> at certain times, at certain times. And you know, for, for any relationship to last, this is not my experience. Because I've never been married. Rare breed. Some of you are like, bro, it's so weird. Like our preachers, he's single. 
we heard he's dating. It's not the secretary. Don't worry, right? And uh, like, well, that's good. Like, we hope it works out. I mean, you know, it's just one of those things that kind of throws some people off. But what the Word of God says time and time again with relationships, whether it's marriage relationships, ladies and, and gentlemen who are married, Ephesians chapter 5 is so huge, but within a church, what makes those things last is the fact that everybody all the time is not going to be enjoyable to be around. There's going to be people that we are around in family and in church. It's just like, okay, time to go. You know, let me go and have my Jesus time. Then come back, take a breather, come back. Because, and you, some of y'all notice this as well. You know what churches attract sometimes? There's always a few crazy people. (laughs) They're not willing to fit. They're not willing to work with other people. They're just, they're not right. Some of y'all are laughing, but you know good and well, you've, ex- you've known a few, known a few. When we encounter those things, like the Apostle Paul says, bearing with one another in what? What's the verse say? In love. The reason why God allows difficult situations and testing trying people into our lives and students, when you have that teacher and you're like, I don't know, I think she's a Nazi. I mean, I just don't know. Those people in your classes, people you work with, the reason why, if God exists, He's sovereign. That means He's in control of everything. That means that nothing comes across our path that God did not cause or allow. So that means that God allowing those difficult things, those difficult people to come, it's to make us more like Jesus. Because what happens sometimes in church is people come and they plug in, they may even join, and they join so that all of their Their desires will be fulfilled and they'll be made happy because they think that everybody there is to make them happy. Well, guess what? We can't even do that because we're all jacked up to a certain degree, right? And what usually happens is when you get somebody who doesn't think that their stuff stinks, they come into a church, they want to get plugged in, and the first time somebody does something that's not Christ-honoring, they throw them off and they say, I'm leaving the church. Guess what? If you're saved, you can't. Did y'all get that? If you're saved, Christ is in you and you are in Christ. You can go to a different building on Sunday morning with bitterness in your heart. Unforgiveness in your heart towards people that the Bible commands you to forgive. But the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says to bear with one another in love. C.S. Lewis says this, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. May it be, verse number three, eager to maintain, verse number two rather, with all humility. Humility is being willing to not always be treated as we should because that's what Jesus came to do for us. The prayer that David prayed, he referenced Philippians where Jesus came to sacrifice himself for us. So one of the ways that I can be like Jesus is I can put myself with difficult people. And naturally, you know what we do when we, when we talk to crazy people and we're around people that we are a little strange? What do we do? We look for the door. Amen? That, that's what we do. I mean, there's some and you, God has just given you the spiritual gift of mercy and you seek after and it's like you're just drawn to those people who, who are not right. And God uses you. To help them. But for most of us, we run from the very things that God has placed there to make us more like Him. The reason why some people uh, don't 
come to Bible study is because they say, will I fit in? Will I be asked to read? Will I, you know, all of that, our, our Bible study classes are for you, if you're a follower of Christ, to come and encourage someone else. You see the difference? It's just not to come to find a great class that meets your needs to get friends for yourself. But it's for you to find someone who's new to Jesus and plug your life into theirs and encourage them. You see, it's all different. We've got an outstanding student ministry. We're going to pray that the Lord provides uh, someone full-time to lead the student and families ministries. We don't know what that's going to look like. That's just a vision God has given us. But we never want to, for those of you that have not joined Rocky Mount Baptist Church, we never want to sell this church as a young, growing church with awesome senior citizens. We never want to sell this church to say we have all of these great things to offer you like we're Baptist salespeople. We say if Jesus has saved you, we've got a church that is heading in the direction that Christ has told us to go, which is to make disciples of all nations. And we encourage you to plug in and come alongside of us. You say, well, Jeff, if I am with, if I am acting in all humility and gentleness and patience, who will stick up for me? Jesus will. And it's the humility and the gentleness that changed the whole Roman Empire. When the Apostle Paul walked into that, that, that Vatican city of paganism in Ephesus, it wasn't very many years before God had used his people's humility and gentleness. And for those of you that love Jesus and you're super smart, I mean, you can pull out stuff from years ago. You've got to be very, very careful that you don't destroy people's arguments intellectually, but let them leave them thinking that you think that they're an absolute moron. Sometimes it's best to sit back and listen in the love of Christ and let people know that you love them. Colossians chapter 3 and verses 12 through 15. The Bible says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with, here it is again, bearing with, you could translate that, putting up with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against one another, Here's the response for Christ's followers. Forgiving one another. That means when someone offends you in the church, Christ has forgiven us so we are able to forgive them. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were indeed called in one body and be thankful. You say, well, Jeff, how do we practically deal with gossip? When someone comes to you in the context of, of church and just in life in general, let them know what the Bible says, Matthew chapter 18, that if a person offends you, go and show them the fault between the two of you. Don't put it on Facebook. Are we preaching yet? Don't tweet about it. Don't send text messages to friends. Don't call over a gossip party, but go to the one person. Because what happens when we do that, if some one of us offends the other person, sometimes people offend us and they don't even know that they did it. And we're like, well, they had to know. Not always. That's when the Bible says the burden of proof is on the one who is offended to go to that one and reconcile together. Even if it means bringing church leadership into it. But you know what his resulted in many churches that's probably kept a lot of people from even coming to the church 
and they stayed in their sins and went to hell is people within the church acting like lost people, refusing to obey Scripture, which says when someone offends you, go to that person and deal with it. And then you could just say, like Barney Fife, nip it in the bud. No joke. We realize how damaging gossip is. And I praise God for the spirit that's in this church. I know sometimes when we come to difficult texts like this, it's just like, well, what's going on at the church? It's like whatever we say. No, this is part of our series, right? This is, this is just from the Bible. I praise God for the spirit of unity that he's given us. But when, and it's not if, when that comes up and someone tries to enlist you in a cause of gossip, number one, whether they know it or not, they are serving Satan. Straight up, they're serving the enemy. So what do you do? Do you say, get away from me, thou Satan worshiper? In all seriousness, we're in the South. And by and large, many people in the South are polite. This is a point to where we need to check our culture at the door. And in humility and in love, to say that's gossip and what you're doing is wrong and I'm not going to participate in it. And you don't have to throw a Muay Thai knee and an elbow after you say that. But you need to let them know that it will not be tolerated. Why? Because what happens in church business meetings, in any type of committee meeting, what happens in personal conversations, for some reason the lost people I know in Franklin County know that. Do you know why they know that? Gossip. Guess what the lost people conclude when they hear of churches in Franklin County that are gossiping about one another, gossiping about the church leaders. They say, they're just as messed up as me. I don't need church. They stay at home. They stay in their sins and they go to hell. And there will be, and I'm pleased to understand I'm not using profanity, there will be hell to pay. For people that are within the visible church that have thrived upon the spreading of gossip so that God's people get off kilter and distracted from God's mission and lost people say they don't have anything different from me. Verse from 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 10, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. So what do you do? When you're offended, what do you do when you're let down? In that moment, it could be the most powerful moment of your life with Christ if you've been saved. You realize, you know what? Jesus' buddies, all of them ran out on him. Jesus was betrayed. Jesus was gossiped about. Jesus was lying naked on a cross and not even his enemies had enough mercy to stop. He was down for the count, but they kept kicking. He was physically abused, emotionally abused, mentally abused. Every form of abuse you could possibly imagine. But yet Jesus, because of his love for us and his passion for the glory of the Father, stayed on the cross. And so if Jesus is real and Jesus has saved me, then that means that I have an opportunity to be like Jesus. Do these people that are treating me like crap deserve my forgiveness? Absolutely not. But bigger question, do I deserve God's forgiveness? Never. But yet God has graciously poured out his grace on me. So in my tears and in my brokenness, I forgive and release them to the Lord. It doesn't mean that I say in my prayer that what they're doing is right when I know it's not. But it means that I release them to God so that I'm no longer bound by the chains of bitterness. And when you see that happen in a family, in a relationship, in a church, you see disunity slowly begin 
just fade away and unity comes out of brokenness.